When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Real Vision Crypto. You can check out more of our in-depth crypto content on www.realvision.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Real Vision that defines weekly musing on money, markets, and everything in between. And as you can see, the pressure of dreaming up yet another ridiculous introduction to this show has split me off from my corporeal form, leaving only this digital weirdness in its place. Would you just marvel? At the mohawk. Just look at the springiness on that. It's beautiful. Joining me from the meat space is Real Vision senior editor and crypto editor Ash Bennington, who looks suitably bemused and rightfully questioning her decision to hire me if I'm going to do this kind of nonsense. It's Camilla Russo. It's why um, I hired you, Robin. It is why. You hired. <laughs> uh, so let me let me first explain what's going on here. I'm streaming to you live from inside Unreal Engine. Um, this is a set that we've built um, to take advantage of metahumans. My face is being caught captured by a phone and streaming literally in real time what I'm doing directly to this character. So Al, but if you go to camera two, we should be able to show the setup. So this is basically it. We've got a defiant dance floor. We've got a me bit hanging in space, a banana because everybody needs a banana and then some simple props. And then if you go to camera three out, you can see this is the setup. There's the phone that's capturing my face. That's me. I'm real. And there's Alp, uh, video editor producer, director, who's just been bashing his head against the desk trying to make this all work. But work, it has. Let's go back to camera one. There you go. That supreme mohawked monster. The reason we're doing this is because if you want to talk about the metaverse and you want to actually express what the metaverse is and what it can do, then you kind of have to go there. And this is the technology that allows us to do it. And what you don't know is that before we even got as far as this, the whole thing crashed and we had to start again. That's how bleeding edge this is. So Ash, what do you make of it? Well, I'm pleased we have a fire extinguisher in the background in case the meat space catches on fire. Look, it's really cool. It's neat stuff. Obviously, what you're looking at here is like version 0 0.015, uh, which is what makes the technology so interesting. But it is really, to me, the striking thing about this is how well synchronized uh, those facial expressions, the motion of your head is uh, with your actual real uh, in, you know, in real time with your with your actual head. Really fascinating. And the technology is only going to get better. So very cool stuff, man. Very cool. Cammy, we've been promising to do this for some time. And now here we are. And you've First seen, version. Yeah, you've seen the kind of stuttery, not quite there yet versions of this. And every week we have to iterate on it. The fun thing about this is that it's basically anything you want to do, you can do, but you have to program it. And it's sort of similar to what we do with DeFi and being able to do anything you want to do, but you have to know how to program it. And once you dig under the hood and you understand that everything is a variable, it can be plugged into another variable to allow you to express yourself in a myriad of different ways, it's both utterly terrifying, but also completely empowering. And I feel like there's, there's like this whole idea of programmability is going to feed into pretty much everything now. So rather than buying a template off the shelf, there's ultimate customization, ultimate, you know, freedom to do what, what you want to do with what you want to do. But you just have to have quite a lot of brain space to be able to compute all of that and make it work. So like you said, I think it's a long way off. But like this is what the metaverse is going to be like. This is basically it. 
happening right now in front of you. It's wild. So, Cami, um, let's start with you. What, what stories have been on your radar this week and what, what have you brought to the table? There's been a lot of uh, regulatory uh, concerns hanging over crypto. It feels like this has been the story that's been looming in, in the background uh, and that we kind of ignored in the bull market. And now that prices are crashing, it's kind of coming to the forefront that there there might be some um, regulatory crackdown. Uh, as we saw actually in the past bear market, the, bear, the past bear market came with like this crackdown on ICOs and um, it seems like it's happening all over again this time. Um, there's a bear market and there's like a, a bunch of uh, regulatory concerns hanging over crypto again. Yes, Ooh. and and as you can see, I've got explosions ready to go just to add a, a kind of lighthearted counterpoint to all this. Ash, what's your take on the regulatory headwinds or, or otherwise going on in the market at the moment? Well, you know, the talk right now, of course, is about the uh, these uh, rumors about the Biden administration releasing a national security map to begin to provide uh, some regulatory clarity around the crypto space. I think for me, the interesting thing about this is where it's not coming from. Uh, which is Congress, which in the United States is the body that's supposed to legislate uh, these uh, and all other uh, types of, uh, of regulatory action. And it's not happening right now because Congress is obviously uh, in a state of significant dysfunction. And so for me, uh, the fact that you have the executive branch that has the capacity to act uh, unilaterally very quickly uh, suggests that we are seeing these challenges uh, in the legislative process, in the political process, uh, where we should should be getting legislative clarity. Well, it's interesting because you brought the India story to the table this morning. And yeah. it was, it's funny enough, India has been fairly adamant that they wanted to ban cryptocurrencies. And I think Modi said he was worried it would spoil the youth of the country. And as late as November last year, there was very, you know, there was a very strong move from India to introduce a framework for banning cryptocurrencies. Yesterday, a different story came out. Could you give us more detail on what, what actually happened there? Yeah, it seems like we're getting some legislative clarity. Unfortunately, it's coming uh, not in the United States, but in India. Uh, and it is this progress that we're seeing uh, toward a normalization of the crypto space. Right now, uh, the main hit that you hear about this, uh, the, the what's happening in India, is that there's a 30% tax rate uh, being imposed on crypto. You know, my feeling, and interestingly enough, I had a conversation with someone uh, off the record yesterday, had a lot of background in the uh, traditional finance and hedge fund space. We both had the same reaction to this, which is, don't worry about the number. Don't worry about the 30% number. That's something that's going to probably decline. What's important here is that this is the proverbial foot in the door to begin the conversation about the path to normalization and legalization of cryptocurrency in India. Look, I think the Indian government here uh, has taken a very savvy look at this and realized uh, that in many ways, this is something that can benefit the country, can help to unify the country if they can find the proper legislative uh, framework to do it. Now, I guess that is a big if, uh, but the reality is these are incredibly powerful technologies uh, and with the right type of public policy, these are things that could be extremely, extremely beneficial, particularly in emerging markets where there are so many uh, millions of people who are currently unbanked. Well, there's quite a lot of nuance to what they were saying because yes, the 30% tax rate is one thing. The, another piece of that is that you, you can't um, tax loss harvest it. So any losses you incur cannot be offset against tax. So it's, you know, it's a fairly heavy penalty. But if you've been Indian, the government has been adamantly against this. 
what was interesting as well was the language that um, Finance Minister Nirmala Sitara, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just mangled your name. The Finance Minister used <laughs> in talking about cryptocurrencies because they're, they've announced their CBDC, the digital rupee. She was very, very clear to say, this is a digital asset. It will be built on blockchain. It will actually be a currency because it is being issued by the Reserve Bank of India, a central bank. Anything else that isn't issued by a reserve bank or a central bank cannot be a currency. Therefore, it will be taxed like this. It, she was very, very clear on that in all the statements in the press conference afterwards. And it was like you could almost see her anticipating a volley of questions about specifically this. Like, have you, have you just given way to the crypto anarchists? So I think it's very, very interesting to see where they're going. I think the implications of the digital rupee are immense for one simple reason, 1.4 billion people. Cami, have you got a, a feeling on this one? Um, well, I think uh, the, the the main takeaway is that India has uh, shifted its stance uh, for crypto pretty radically in the space of uh, just a, a couple of months, uh, which is huge news for one of the biggest emerging countries. Um, it went from not wanting to have anything to do with crypto uh, to introducing regulation for crypto, which you know basically just makes it uh, legal and makes it acceptable for this industry to uh, to flourish in in India and for digital assets to to be used. Uh, even if it's like at a thirty percent tax, it just means okay they can be used in a legal way, um, which is huge. And I think Ash is right to say that thirty percent number it it'll it'll come down. It'll be renegotiated. Um, but the main point is that you know digital assets and are now legal and uh, and okay to use in in India, um, and it looks like from what um, the finance minister is saying, it's like they want to have the the digital rupee uh, uh, outcompete other digital currencies by introducing this thirty percent tax um, and having that differentiation of. Uh, the digital rupee won't have this because it is the only uh, actual currency, uh, actual digital currency. Um, so, you know, that's going to be interesting and seeing how it, it plays out, whether people would rather use um, this uh, CBDC or uh, uh, other kind of stable coins or other digital assets, even if they do have to pay that 30% tax. Um, I think that that will be a question for kind of the free market uh, to decide. Um, it will definitely be uh, interesting to see how, how it, it plays out. Um, and well, the other uh, item to point out is uh, how um, quickly this like CBDCs sector is evolving uh, with, you know, China is working on, on its, uh, its digital currency. India is now expecting to, to roll one out. So we see kind of this, uh, these major economies looking at this very seriously and, and planning uh, to roll out these um, digital assets, which I don't know, like I, I've said it before, I feel very un, uneasy about uh, governments having so much control uh, over uh, your money and, and just like this ability of increased surveillance uh, makes me a bit um, uneasy uh, for sure. But I, I don't know, I think um, all the details on how these currencies are actually rolled out uh, are have haven't really been um, 
clarified yet. So I guess it's like just TBD on, on how all these CBDCs are actually used. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, Robin, can I throw in one other point there? Yeah. Excellent analysis, as always, by Cami. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let me just point out an important distinction. There's a lot of debate always around this topic, and it's almost like a philosophical or religious debate. Uh, is Bitcoin money? Uh, all these questions uh, are interesting ones, but I would point out the important factor uh, that makes an official currency, an official currency, a reserve currency, uh, a legal tender is the fact that you can remit your taxes in it, right? So at the end of the day, uh, you know, no matter how passionate we are about Bitcoin, uh, when you file your taxes at the end of the year, you have to pay those taxes in U.S. dollars. The idea of a digital rupee where you can theoretically pay your taxes in that digital currency, totally different uh, from anything else you might own for that reason, an important distinction. Absolutely. And, and I guess the question is now, what does the U.S. do? You've got a large chunk of the world's population instantly exposed to digital currencies. What does the U.S. do? It seems that it's, it doesn't know whether to stick or twist on this issue, and it, it's going to have to decide soon. What, what will they do or what should they do? <laughs> I mean, it depends what they want to accomplish. Do they want to, you know, maintain parity or hegemony in the world with it with the US dollar? Well, of course they do. So they have to do something. But they are seemingly, as you rightly said, kind of constipated in Congress and sort of unable to get out of each other's hair for stuff that that is sort of less important. But I mean, you know, the world is going to do what it's going to do. And India has made its move now. So I'm very curious about this. Um, let's move on to another story now. And Cami, you wanted to bring up um, one of the the kind of the big scandals that blew up last week around Danny Sestagali, Wonderland, Ohm, and a whole bunch of stuff that there's, nobody saw coming, but which has just left shockwaves through DeFi. Can you explain what happened there? Yeah. <clears throat> so what happened uh, last week is that, uh, okay, so just like quick context, uh, there's this project called uh, Wonderland that stemmed off of this uh, new DeFi 2.0 wave uh, that uh, we've covered before last uh, last year. Um, and Wonderland is one of these projects uh, from this new like DeFi 2.0, uh, which is already, I think, dying, by the way, which is like very short lived. Uh, movement of uh, protocols trying to own their own liquidity and and um, have um, more uh, loyal uh, users and so on. Um, so anyways, that's kind of where Wonderland comes from. And Wonderland is founded by Daniel uh, Sestegali, also known as Daniel uh, Sesta. And it, he's uh, the, the project's treasurer or uh, a, another kind of co-founder in the project is uh, this person known as Sifu. Well, uh, last week, some uh, somebody on Twitter posted screenshots of a conversation with Danny. And in that conversation, it was uh, clear that Danny knew that Sifu was one of the uh, co-founders of Quadriga, the, the Canadian exchange that um, 
you know, ended up uh, running away. I mean, the the founder, the uh, the founder of the exchange died, and and it, it closed, and it and the users of the exchange, clients of this exchange, ended up using millions, uh, over a hundred million dollars uh, in in funds. Uh, so, anyways, the the co-founder of Quadriga, this Canadian exchange, is Sifu. Um, the the guy holding the treasury of Wonderland, this new DeFi 2.0 project, um, and that's bad. But that but what's worse is that uh, Danny, who really rose into like DeFi Hall of Fame last year, like he just like became this like rock star, followed by a, like a Frog Nation, is what like the the his fans call themselves. Um, and he knew that he was dealing with this um, this person with not so good reputation, um, who had lost millions of dollars in, in user funds and was now controlling funds of this new DeFi protocol. And and not just Quadriga, but he there were also like a series of different um, issues or uh, problems that that were surfaced allegedly. You know, of course, like. None of this has been a hundred percent proven, but it, he has been um, his real identity was uncovered, uh, and he's actually uh, Michael uh, Patron, the, uh, the Quadriga co-founder. So, anyways, all of that kind of blew up. Um, the consequences are still kind of being uh, felt, like the pieces are still landing. The Wonderland uh, users are still kind of deciding and voting on what to do with the project, whether it should uh, dissolve or not. Um, they voted to not dissolve the the project, so it's it's been a huge mess. Um, and I think you know it's it's like DeFi is is coming to this uh, place where um, it's 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 facing the dangers and the downsides of having all of these anonymous founders, um, where you know it's you know the the, the plus side is. Um, the lack of censorship and true decentralization and you know all of that but the downside is that you don't really get the the track record um and the reputation that comes from you know having real people uh behind behind the project so yeah, yeah. it's it's a mess and i think one of the interesting things about this story is that danny and the frog nation rose up because there was a a bunch of people who felt marginalized or looked down upon by the kind of DeFi OGs. So you had MakerDAO and Dai, and one of Danny's projects, Abracadabra, sprung up as a contender to that. And it was a series of these things where these sort of, this rabble of, you know, counterculture people and counterculture meme artists basically rose to power and managed to attract a lot of value and believed the you know the folk hero and the folk story about what they were doing and then it's blown up and so everyone who was like oh gosh these idiots and you know now they've been proven correct so everyone who, who said this was all a scam and a ponzi is like well we were correct it's a lot more complicated than that and there's also this 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 idea that you know we we talk about DeFi being permissionless like it doesn't care who you are and where you've been and what you've done and here's a perfect example of someone whose history puts that to the test. This is someone who was associated with something where people lost a lot of money. And there's a very strong ethical question here. But should we should that even factor in? It's a really tough one to call. And it, it's 
it, there's a lot of head scratching going on about how best to deal with it. Ash, does that sort of make sense to you how it's all played out? Because there are some, amongst all the politicking, there's, there's, there are some serious questions to be asked about what DeFi is and the ethics of it. Well, let me take it more generally. So big picture here, what you're talking about, I think two sides of the same coin, incredible innovation, incredibly dynamic space, but also an incredible amount of risk. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, these are newer protocols. These are, these are things that uh, have, do not have long-term track records. We are experimenting, testing in real time here. Uh, so I think people need to understand that this is an incredibly exciting space. If you want to look at what the future may look like, there are all of these different options, all of these different models out there. But this is a highly speculative space to get involved with. And people need to understand this is very much adult swim when they dive in with their real money. Well, that's, that gives us a neat segue because I want to read out some comments about a journalist. And someone put out a video uh, 10 days ago it's seen like 4 million views or so. It's about NFTs. It's called Line Goes Up. And it talks about a specific journalist and the book that she wrote. And it calls it a journalistic abortion, calls her a failed journalist. And it calls into question the balance, the ethics, the journalistic quality of the work she put out. The journalist in question is, in fact, Camilla Russo. The book she wrote, Infinite Machine. And it goes on. I wrote, I mean, I, I made a film answering this film. And I have had a volley of abuse about the fact that I even deigned to do so, in which we get the following. Camilla deserves to be shamed for the garbage she's put out. She's not unbiased. And it's clearly led a bunch of people towards a financial cliff, Pied Piper style. This entire cryptosphere is an experiment with no real concrete value and extreme environmental cost. So we are at a, at a point now where someone made a two and a half hour film that went into excruciating detail about all the scams, all the risks, everything that is wrong with crypto. And he did it in such a way that it was very, very difficult for any of us to respond in a meaningful, balanced and well-reasoned way. Because it, you know, to respond properly, we would need six weeks. None of us has six weeks to do so. And so, Camilla, I wanted to give you a chance to respond to what was said here because it felt like an unwarranted attack on you. But now you've had a chance to think about it. But how do you respond to this? Uh, well, you know, I think first thing I, I would say is that I generally I didn't feel the need to to respond to him. Um, I think, you know, he made his analysis on NFTs. Um, he has his right to to his opinion uh, about the space. I think he made some some valid points. Um, I think the points he made can be uh, argued against. Um, but you know, th there are tons of people who don't like NFTs because they use blockchains. I don't like blockchains because of the uh, environmental impact that they have. Um, which to me, you know, I mean, there's like a whole argument to be made for for the environmental impact of blockchains. It's like, do you think that um, this this whole industry is is va is valuable enough to require that energy behind it? I think yes. Other people will think no. And he thinks it doesn't require all, all that energy, um, and you know they, they they think you know NFTs are bringing money to the internet, and money is like this dirty word apparently um, that shouldn't be mixed with art, and you know th it's this whole kind of different worldview from my own, which I can respect, and I and he should be fine um, to have it and express it um, now. Like 
his attacks on my book and on my person come from from that place, from just having an extremely negative opinion about crypto. I think my book uh, was balanced. At least it was factual. It was accurate. I did not report anything that was inaccurate about uh, Ethereum. Uh, the book has been out for two years now. Um, there have has been plenty of times for everyone involved in the book to tell me if I was wrong about anything. None of that happened. So I, I, I did put out a factual account about the history of Ethereum, um, and that is a fact. <laughs> um, now, I do have my own opinion, and he's entitled to his opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion. Of course, um, I run a media company that is focused on uh, communicating all the developments in DeFi and Web3. Of course, I have a, a favorable opinion about crypto. I'm in it full time. Um, I think it will continue to grow. I think it is the future of finance. I, th I think it will underpin uh, the, the internet and the financial system. So yes, uh, I've been very clear that I do have a bias for crypto. I like it. I think it's a future. Um, I think it's a very positive and revolutionary development about the world. And he can disagree with me. And I think that's fine. Um, so I think that's where all his kind of hate comes from. And I, I accept it. Um, of course, like that does not mean that I'm not a good journalist. Uh, that does not mean that my book is an abortion. It just means that we have a different view on crypto. Um, and I think he took that a bit too far. Um, but, you know, that's on him, not on me. Ash, we, we were aware of this piece. It, it was circulated pretty widely. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, let me pivot a little bit to an important point that I think that you made in your rebuttal uh, film. I, so you mentioned this idea that this is a technology uh, and that, you know, criticizing NFTs uh, as a technology, it's like criticizing a PDF file because someone prints material uh, and digitally circulates it in a form that uh, you don't like. Right. So we're still incredibly, incredibly early in this phase. I think it's important for people to get the big picture view uh, of what NFTs are. NFTs are effectively tokens that have a unique digital fingerprint uh, so that unlike Bitcoin or Ethereum, you basically have the ability to have a, a singular identity for a particular token that has just an enormous amount of potential, potential positive benefits uh, for all different types of functionality. Uh, from you know, from the securitization of assets uh, on the one hand to digital art, we're still in the again. We're talking about this. It reminds me of the metaphor for the metaverse here. We're still in 0.015 on this. I think there are going to be some incredibly uh, interesting applications that are going to come of this. If you just think this through, uh, where we could be in one, three, five years uh, on NFTs and some of the use cases. You know, you sort of alluded to this as well uh, in your rebuttal, which is that we're we're flawed, imperfect creatures, and we're going to see these challenges. Where human beings are not going to uh, reach some sort of utopia of evolution as a consequence of the technology, uh, and it very much remains to be seen how we're going to sort this out, how we're going to come up 
uh, with what's often called in DeFi and elsewhere in crypto, this idea of governance issues. How do you manage these protocols? How do you manage the technology? And how do you manage the human beings uh, who are involved with them? To pick up on Cami's point, I think this technology is incredibly exciting because it is a tool. It facilitates these use cases. How we get there, it's going to be messy. Uh, at times, it's going to be ugly. But I really do believe, as Cami said, in the future of this technology and for what it is going to do uh, for virtually every aspect of our experience from communication to business to finance, uh, really interesting technologies here. It's going to be a long slog to get there, though. Well, my, I spent a long time thinking about how to respond to this film because I felt, I felt I needed to. And I'm someone who has made some long essay-style films about this space and so felt like it would be appropriate for me to do so. But it just, it felt like going there and getting into a, you know, a pit fight with Dan Olson and we should, we should call him out. This is Dan Olson, a Canadian YouTuber who actually weirdly, he talks about things that I also talk about, which is narrative and film theory. And he, he's a filmmaker. And so I feel like we would connect on so many different levels on so many different subjects. It's just, this isn't one of them. And I thoroughly, respect the work that went into it but i also found myself constantly saying yes but and that isn't helpful you need to say yes but and then provide the example of and for every single comment that he made there are a bunch of people that said well yeah that's exactly how i feel that's exactly how i feel and i what i found coming back at me was was so much aggression and hostility when the film i put out was not aggressive or hostile in response at all and i was making the point to dan that you can make the environmental debate. You can, you can say something is environmentally unsound about almost anything in life. And that's not excusing Ethereum or, or Bitcoin or, or any of these gas guzzling chains. It's just that, you know, if you're going to sit down and watch Netflix for three hours every night, that has an environmental burden. If you're going to put out a film that doesn't need to be a film that could just as easily be a podcast, then if you're going to place an ethical responsibility on each and every single one of us, then take a look at yourself and ask, is that really the right way to put this piece of content out? Now, that just seems petty to me because actually Dan's film has effectively reached an audience and started a debate and started a set of questions, which I think is right and fair. But I don't know how to start that conversation with Dan in any way other than it become looking like we're attacking him because we're not. Why well, I actually 100% I actually accept the criticisms as valid, but it's just that for every criticism you make, there are a bunch of very good, very solid things that are happening, but then you just look like you're kind of an apologist, which is no good at all. And so, like, it, you know, I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a need to to have a specific rebuttal or answer to his film. Like, like I said, he has his opinion. He made a film about it. It's, you know, it's his right, and obviously, and it's done really well. Um, and that's that. And then what, what we do is we continue reporting on the space in the way that we know how with our own opinion and with our own analysis. And we put that out into the world. And, you know, I trust that people are, are intelligent uh, and they have the capacity of digesting different pieces of information. So for those who are interested in learning more about NFTs and maybe Dan Olson's film piqued their uh, interest, they'll be able to go and find our channel, hopefully, or some other channel and just learn more about NFTs. And, and that's kind of what we can do from, from our side, not responding to Dan specifically, but just continuing to provide um, knowledgeable, good quality, 
timely uh, content about NFTs and, you know, and content that um, that is is here and just follows the space as it unfolds. We're not just like doing a one-off film about NFTs because, okay, we hate, we hate it and we're putting out our criticism. We're here in this space covering it uh, every single day. Um, and so for those, uh, for those who became curious about NFTs, we're here for them. Uh, uh, if they want to learn more uh, and have like the, the other side of the issue. Actually, I just wanted to ask actually, do you, do you get accusations of journalistic malpractice leveled at Real Vision ever? Does that, does that ever come your way? Because I mean, we're in a risky space here and that we will draw criticism. You know, I only get criticism when I'm awake. No, I mean, it's look, it's constant, it's ubiquitous. This is part of the the world that we live in today, right? That, and it's not just limited to cryptocurrency. We could see this with the with the sort of a Joe Rogan, Neil Young, Spotify debate. We live in in a period uh, where there's been this dramatic uh, democratization of the ability to communicate. The fact that you can very cheaply uh, sit down in front of your computer and make a film uh, and talk for two or three hours and distribute it at virtually zero cost. This is just a massive paradigm shift. Uh, from where we were uh, a decade ago. And I just don't think the culture has yet evolved and figured out how to have these conversations. And what happens uh, is very often you spend, spend, spend a tremendous amount of heat rather than light. Uh, and that is just uh, the nature of where we are uh, right now. I mean, these technologies are incredibly powerful that you can create uh, a, a video on your phone distributed on YouTube uh, at virtually zero cost in virtually zero time uh, and then tweet about it uh, to an audience of uh, of tens or hundreds of millions of people if you happen to get caught up in the updraft uh, of a particular uh, viral tweet. It's an extraordinary opportunity that democratizes the ability of people who have historically not had a voice to speak, which is a great thing. But also, it creates the ability to have a, a kind of conflict. I was talking about this on the air the other night, uh, where I was saying, you know, if my dad uh, in the 1980s had a few cocktails on a Saturday night and said some things that were regrettable, uh, on Sunday morning, he probably had three or four people he had to call and apologize to. Now it's the entire world, a global audience, uh, and it can happen instantaneously. So those are the, the risks and also the opportunities of this. I just think that the culture hasn't yet figured out how to have these conversations in ways uh, that that are respectful uh, and in ways that that create uh, the sort of ability for people to learn and understand these ideas without things being sort of personally uh, intense, personally uh, conflicting. It's very much a work in part in progress, and I think it's something that we're we're seeing in our politics. Uh, we're seeing it obviously in the digital asset space, but we're also just seeing it more broadly. Well, there's a degree to which you know. There are many corrupt politicians around the world, but that doesn't mean that all politicians are corrupt. There are many bad actors in this space, and Dan was very keen to single them out and call out the scams. But there are people who are actually doing some good work and, and, and suffer from the same kind of ethical dilemmas that we all do. We did a, an incredible interview with Andre Cronier, and like, that's literally, Andre is beset by this dilemma every day, should I just stop building because everyone's an idiot and they're all just in it for a buck? Or should I just keep persevering and keep getting back into it? Well, I think he's a masochist, so yes, he will. But I, I also feel like you can run away from this and call scam and get angry at it, or you can try and actually help steer the conversation and be part of, maybe it's a minority, maybe it's a tiny minority, but there are some people trying to do some good stuff. I will gravitate towards them. I'll filter the rest of the stuff out. And the best I think we can do here at the Define is at least just try and educate 
steer in the right direction. And if that's the only thing that we managed to get out of this, then I think we're still doing pretty well. Uh, I think that's exactly right, Robin. And the reality is that the future belongs to the people uh, who are willing to step up, take the risk, take the criticism, take the heat, uh, and continue to respond and continue to function uh, when the only thing you want to do is, you know, throw your phone in the East River. <laughs> do that. Expensive, yo. Can't <laughs> be. To wrap it up, is there anything on your radar coming up for next week? I mean, it feels like there's a brand new story every single week and something crazy about to break. But what's on your radar? Um, gosh, on my radar, I think, you know, like talking about NFTs, um, I'm really curious to see whether the market for NFTs continues to hold uh, the way it has. I think that's, that's been very surprising in this downturn, seeing how, how well NFT projects uh, are doing, you know, like um, some of the kind of blue chip projects, uh, the floors are going up. Uh, there's still demand for these um, digital, uh, you know, these JPEGs. So um, I think that I'll, I'll continue to track that market because I've, I've, it's been surprising uh, to see how everything held up in, in, in the crash. What about you, Ash? Anything on your radar? I'm going to give the most painfully obvious answer, uh, which is I'm going to be following price action on Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, obviously, this is an interesting time that we find ourselves in. Uh, we're down uh, from just shy of uh, 69,000 in November on Bitcoin. That's down about 45%. And now from that trough, uh, we're up around 27% uh, from the low of 29,800 or thereabout on Bitcoin. Obviously, a volatile time. Uh, and it's something that uh, is, is obviously going to have a great deal of impact on the way the space gets covered and the way things uh, get talked about thought about, uh, even if, uh, you know, we all uh, who've been following this space for some time understand the volatility uh, of these assets. Uh, but obviously, that is going to be a, a tremendous driver of the way the news cycle flows uh, because of how sensitive human beings are to price. It's, uh, it is just the nature of the beast. So that's what I'm going to be watching uh, at risk of stating the obvious. I, I like to think that you have the Bitcoin and Ethereum tickers like just on the inside of your glasses at all times. The way you just pull those figures out of your butt like that, it was like, oh, wow. As he just put it like dialed in there, I'm going to be casting my eyes eastward as the Beijing Olympics kick off because China's CBDC is launching at the Olympics. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen there. Of course, the entire games are shrouded in some kind of yeah, like human rights records and things. So it's going to be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. The pageantry, the theater that will be presented to the world via this grand spectacle. So without further ado, it's probably time for us to pour some cold water on this extremely heated debate between uh, two normal people and one weirdo with a mohawk. Thanks for joining us. We will see you at the same time next week, probably somewhere around that. Who knows who's going to be joining us, but it's sure to be a fun one. This has been Real Vision versus The Defiant. Thank you, Ash. Thank you, Cami. We'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you're looking for more in-depth crypto analysis with real experts, check out our website, realvision.com crypto. You'll find videos, reports, everything you need on your crypto learning journey. Thanks for listening.